by reaching that salary you can buy something else that may make you happy. But in reality, that's often not the case and there needs to be something more than money as a motivator, I believe, if you're going to feel genuinely happy about what you do. Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast focused on helping you overcome the challenges of making a major career change. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you figure out the steps you can take to move on in your career and make your professional ambitions a reality. In each episode, we'll be speaking with people who have an inspiring career story to share, learning from the brave leaps they took to pursue something new and helping you find the clarity, confidence, and courage to make your own brave decisions that improve your career and life. You can subscribe to this podcast by going to careerrelaunch.net, where you can listen to all the latest episodes and get more useful resources to help you navigate your own career journey. Today, my guest is going to talk about relaunching his career from being a security analyst to the founder of a digital marketing agency. We'll talk about the value of time and how a six-figure salary doesn't always lead to happiness. Afterwards, during today's Mental Fuel segment, I'll wrap up with a few thoughts on what it means to be truly wealthy. On today's show, I'll be speaking with Byron Treziak. Byron's the director and founder of a conversion-focused digital marketing agency called Pixel Rush. He helps businesses gain greater returns from their online marketing investments by turning clicks into customers. He's also passionate about inspiring others to build a life they'll love by creating flexible lifestyles and career paths using online income, which is why I thought he'd be a great person to feature on today's show. He spoke with me from Melbourne, Australia. Okay. Hello, Byron. And thanks so much for being on Career Relaunch. And I'm really excited to say that you're our very first guest from Australia. Beautiful. Thanks for having me, Joseph. It's great. We could make the connection from uh, so far away. Technology is amazing these days. So yeah, definitely welcome to the show. And thanks for taking time to speak with me. I know it's getting late in the evening over there for you. And I was wondering if you could just start us off by telling us a little bit more about what you're focused on in your life and career. Yeah, so right now I'm focused on my own business, which is called Pixel Rush, where conversion-focused digital marketing agency. And our main aim is to help businesses build profitable online businesses or online marketing strategies. So really focus on getting a good quality return for the businesses that we work with. Well, I definitely want to hear more about Pixel Rush. And I know that you do a lot of work in the space of SEO and conversion. So maybe we can come back to that topic. What I would really love to talk with you about is your career and your life and how you came to found Pixel Rush. And I was wondering if you could just take us back in time a little bit. And I first discovered you from the Medium article that you wrote in June of 2016, which I thought had a great title, which was the day I earned a six-figure salary was the day I quit my job, which uh, definitely jumped out to me. And I'd highly recommend this article to listeners out there. And we'll include a link in the show notes. And you started off that article, Byron, which kind of made me chuckle. You said, two years ago on January 6, 2014, I quit my job. Yeah, yeah. What was going on for you at the end of 2013? You know, back at this particular time, Joseph, I was working for a very large bank and I'd been employed to work in a brand new team, which was basically a global security operations center, which we were there to identify and manage security incidents. So 
anyone that's out there in security or knows something about it knows what uh, businesses are up against now with you know hackers and that sort of thing. So very challenging role and uh, it caused me a number of issues back then. What were some of the issues that you were wrestling with as a security analyst? You know, we were forced to become more of an audit checkbox machine. So, you know, the tick box mentality where we were doing things because it satisfied audit requirements rather than actually give us a chance to identify the types of attacks and respond to them in a way that we would like to. So you had a very capable team. You know, I worked with some incredibly smart individuals within that team, but it just wasn't something that we were able to transition into effective processes for the business. So it was a struggle to have that innovation and do things at a high level. That opportunity to succeed and and to put your best forward was a real struggle. What was ultimately the biggest issue that made you start to think that it was time to move on? I started off very passionate. I've always been very passionate about IT security. And, you know, at the time I was doing a lot of self-education and and really trying to upskill so that I could move into these, into higher roles in the future and progress my career. And you basically continue to come back and see the lack of progress. So for example, we used to have a meeting every Monday and it was just a shift changeover, which was between 3 and 3.30. And we'd basically come back and discuss the same issues that we discussed the week before and there was no... <laughs> There was never any progress, you know, so it was, uh-huh. I, I'd sort of term it a little bit like Groundhog Day, if you've ever seen that movie <laughs> yeah. with, uh, with Bill Murray, it was like you were coming back and nothing had changed and, you know, the weeks went on and and um, all of a sudden, you know, you're getting older and you're seeing the days pass by and you're kind of wondering, why am I turning up here when I'm not really making an impact? How long did you feel like this before you decided you wanted to make a change? So I'd say probably the the 12 months before um, actually quitting is um, where I really started to struggle and really started to question whether this was where I wanted to go with my life or whether there was something else out there and, you know, smarter ways or more enjoyable ways to play out the rest of my career, I suppose. I know one of the things you mentioned in your article, Byron, was that your job was taking its toll on you. And I was Mm. just curious if you could explain to us what kind of a toll was it taking on you and your life and your career? It's probably not something that I fully realized until after I'd left. And I think even within the article, I I talk about a feeling of depression, but yet not really wanting to admit that to myself at the time, thinking that I'm probably a stronger person than what I thought I was. You know, all of a sudden, you just feel negative and dark throughout the day. And that whole feeling comes through the door with you when you get home and you see your wife and so forth. And rather than saying, you know, how are you or sitting down for a cup of coffee with each other, you tend to be t- discussing some of your frustrations that work from work. And so all of that bubbles up into your home life as well. And it took me a while before I got pointed back in the right direction. One of the things that you talked about in your article was that when you earned your six-figure salary, which I know is this sort of alluring goal for many of us, and I've definitely been there when when I was in the corporate world, I actually remember the moment that happened to me. And 
you know, it kind of feels good, but at the same time, you realize it doesn't really drive happiness. Mm-hmm. What did you mean in the article when you were talking about the idea of money not being everything and how earning the six-figure salary was the trigger to you deciding to leave your job? It's something that I had from quite a young age. I think it gets instilled from your parents as well, who typically come from more asset-focused mindset and earn a big salary, buy a house, get a car, get married, have kids, that kind of traditional conforming mentality. So I think it came from that and I continued to strive for it. And I think you'd go through this cycle where you would start a new job and it would be great because it was new and fresh and something different for you. And I find with any new job, there's always a degree of learning involved. And when you're learning, I think that's when the mind's most interested in what it's doing. You know, and then you get to that point where you typically want to innovate and uh, improve upon the things that you've been given. And, and I think that's probably where a lot of businesses struggle is allowing people to innovate and, and to improve on things within the business. So when that didn't happen, it came back to me saying, well, maybe if I got more money or I got a bigger salary, that would fix these feelings that I was having and these frustrations that I was having. So you continue to change jobs and then push for a higher salary. By reaching that salary, you can buy something else that may make you happy. But in reality, that's often not the case. And there needs to be something more than money as a motivator, I believe, if you're going to feel genuinely happy about what you do. Yeah, it was interesting because in your article, you also talked about that you reached this goal, or at least the financial monetary goal, but you weren't happy when you got there. Can you just explain what that was like for you? It was a strange feeling. I mean, I sort of explained it to my wife how on the weekends, you'd get to the weekend and, and maybe you had a significant amount. We had a good salary. She had a good salary as well. And the week was such a struggle though, you know, you were struggling every day of the week, you'd get to Monday, you'd have those Monday blues and you, and a lot of people have that, they get up Mondays and they, they hate that day, you know, they hate the morning, they hate the feeling of it, but you get to Friday and it's this feeling of elation and and music sounds better and everything sounds great (laughs) on a Friday afternoon. And then you'd get to the weekends and you'd take your pay pack and you'd probably go and buy something new and say, well, here's a reward for you getting through the week basically you would find that you were kind of in this rut. The more you earned, the more you spent, you tried to find something as a treat for getting through another week of your <laughs> of your life and your career, right. which you sort of realize after a while that this money that I'm earning isn't making me feel great. I'm still waking up with those Monday blues regardless how much I earn. And I think after a while, we kind of all accept that Monday should be the worst day of the week. But When you talk to people that are successful and they love what they do and they're very passionate about what they do, a lot of the time, Saturday and Sunday or Friday evening is the worst day of the week and Monday is actually their best day because they get to go back and do what it is they love and they enjoy and it doesn't feel like work to them anymore. So so I think that's really important, you know, when you're looking at money for happiness, just realize like how do you feel when you get up each day and come Monday, are you excited for your week or are you looking for that weekend treat to congratulate yourself for getting through another week of your career? I think that's an important mindset to think about. 
Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I hadn't thought about it like that. It's almost like you're dangling your own carrots in front of you just to keep yourself going. That's it, yeah. Interesting behavior if you think about it. Yeah. It's like you're kind of conditioning yourself to be okay with your situation. Yeah, I know, yeah. I don't know how how I sort of thought about that one day, but I'm just like, wow, is this what I'm doing and, and, and is this what I'm trying to do to keep myself happy with where I'm going in life? Well, I know one other thing you mentioned, Byron, which I thought was interesting was you talked about legacy in your article. And well, first of all, what the legacy of your life was going to be and then what it would be like if you lived a quote unquote unfulfilled life. What was making you start to wrestle with that particular question? At the time, I remember saying to a lot of my colleagues that I was working with and saying, you know, say you got terminally ill and the doctor said to you, you know, you only have X amount of time to live, would you still continue to turn up to this job? And the majority of responses I got were, there's no way I'd come in, I'd probably travel the world, or I would go and do that one thing that I've loved so much in life, but never had the opportunity to go and do it. So I think death, as morbid as it sounds, has a way of putting things into perspective, and has a way of encouraging you to take action. Life has a start and a finish. And when you're 90 years old and you're looking back on your life, you want to make sure that you're not saying, I'd wish I'd done that, or I'd wish I'd done this, you know, or if I'd spent more time with family or these sort of things. And I think it's important to sort of think about what those later years of your life are going to be like and be happy that you pointed yourself in the direction that you felt was going to give you the best experiences and the most kind of rewarding life because we do only get one shot at enough and we've got to get it right, I think. Another thing you just mentioned was family. And yep. I know you wrote about how you realized that you were spending more time with your colleagues than your family. And I've definitely been there too. And it's kind of this weird, yeah, confusing feeling. What was the moment when you realized that? Previous roles, is it's something that I'd always thought about going, why am I spending so much time here with my colleagues when my wife's at home or or other family members that I'd prefer to spend more time with? It ended up, you know, they got the less quality time at the end of the day when you were tired and exhausted from such a long day. It's a challenge these days to fit in family, especially with shift work. I was working sometimes on late shift for six to eight weeks in a row. And so that meant you basically got the transition periods of the day. So, for example, if it was in the morning, I'd probably be asleep still from the late shift the night before and uh, my wife would get up and she'd get ready for work. And just before she went out the door, she'd come in and she'd give you a kiss on the forehead and say, I hope you have a great day and I'll see you later on. And so then by the time that I got up and I'd go to work by around 3.30 in the afternoon and then get home at midnight or later when she was already asleep. So I'd come in the door, give her a kiss on the forehead and say, I'm home safely, hope you had a great day. And that was kind of how it went for for quite a few weeks in a row and, and consistently with these late shifts over time. So after a while, you know, especially when you're not enjoying your job and you know, my wife's such a big part of my life. When you limit that time with family and the people that you really want to spend time with, it just tends to send you into a darker place as well. So, yeah, it's something that I felt that I should be able to have a career where I can balance both 
career and family, travel and all those sort of things and join them in one. It shouldn't be something that's separate. You know, it shouldn't be something if you want a career, then you have to forsake the family. You know, you should be able to have them all. Yeah, it's interesting because it kind of reminds me of this topic of wealth and how in the traditional form, wealth is all about financial or monetary or physical assets. But I think what you're getting at is how there are other measures of wealth, like control of your time or time with people you love. Absolutely, yeah. How did you begin to think about the value of your time? At that particular time, those past prior 12 months before I quit my job, I started doing a lot of reading. So, you know, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss was one of the books that I read. Mm -hmm. And Tim has a lot of interesting opinions on smarter ways to make money. You know, while I was working this job, I realized that I could actually complete the work that I needed to complete in a much shorter period than 40 hours per week. The problem was, is that my manager's and the company had the expectation that you must be here for these 40 to 50 hours per week if you're going to do the role to an acceptable standard. But this 40-hour work week is a very outdated mindset, I think. There's an expectation regardless of workload or work rate that, that you must be in the office and there between the hours of, you know, nine until five, for example, there should be more flexible ways of working. Some of these constructs are completely arbitrary, right? Like you mentioned the six-figure salary, which there's a sort of milestone or a construct that we've created as a society. And then there's also this 40-hour work week, which if you think about like who came up with eight hours or who came up with the 40 hours, it's just kind of always been there and it's somewhat arbitrary. (laughs) So what has been one of the more surprising parts of your life now that you have switched out of the world of being a security analyst and now you're running your own agency. What's that been like for you? The flexibility is something that's definitely changed in life. If, for example, I need to rearrange something in my life, if I need need to do something, you, you have flexibility and a choice about what you do every day. It's not so structured. If you want to go for a coffee at 11 a.m., then that's something that you can do. If you want to work between the hours of midday and midnight, then that's something you can do. If you want to work from overseas or work in a different location throughout the day, then that's something that you can do as well. So there's a lot more flexibility in the way that you go about your day-to-day. So it sounds like you've got that flexibility in your life now that you didn't have before. And one of the things that's on my mind is we started this conversation talking about money. Is there any aspect of that that you miss from the corporate world, the the money or the six-figure salary? Do you feel that right now at all? Since quitting, there's been times where I know I've definitely struggled with the lack of stability in that regular income that comes in. You know, some days I might make more in a day than I would make in two months of my old job. So there's, there's moments where you have really good days and um, it, it really outweighs. And then there's other months where you might make half as much as what you made in a month. So there's always those stability issues when it comes to business and nothing static as you would have known it in working for somebody else. What's been the hardest part of making this career change for you? When it comes to running your own business, you almost have to be great at everything. 
or be able to employ people to do so. So I think the biggest thing has been overcoming individual hurdles and uh, like fear hurdles, basically. You know, for example, like podcasts like this, you got to get over the fears of or how my voice sound and is what right. I'm saying something that is going to resonate with people. Right. But then everyday marketing of your business, making decisions. So you typically learn how to fail and accept that as a great way of learning moving forward. You know, I don't come from entrepreneur style parents or anything. They've all got very successful careers, but no real business mentors and things like that. So a lot of it has been self-taught and trying to learn things as I go. So, you know, not every day is a diamond, I guess. Now, before we wrap up uh, with talking, because I do want to talk about Pixel Rush, what's the best career advice you've ever received? What does Monday feel like for you? If Monday is a very negative day, then I think that's a good time to reassess, see if you are still passionate about your career. And then if you are, Maybe it's the job, maybe it's who you're working for, maybe you need to do your own thing. If you're not passionate about it, then try to find what it is. And I, and I think that is a challenge for a lot of people to find what it is that really gets them going and what, what gets them excited and then trying to find out how they can make a career from that and, and earn some money from what it is that they love the most. It's always really useful to, I think, take a step back and think about what you're really passionate about. And uh, it's also at the yeah. same time, it's it's got to be one of the hardest things to figure out out there. It's got to be up there Absolutely. with uh, your life purpose and things yeah. like that. So it's definitely a worthwhile, worthwhile topic to think about. I want to wrap up today by talking about Pixel Rush, which I know is a conversion-focused digital marketing agency there in Australia. Can you just tell us a little bit more about your current projects and what you're focused on there? We basically offer web design, search engine optimization, um, paid traffic solutions like AdWords, and combining all of those strategies to build uh, a profitable online business presence for the businesses that we work with very much focused on driving sales and improving the uh, revenue for the businesses that we work with. Do you have a simple tip that you could share about ways that people can drive up their conversion? The main one is is learn what problem it is that you're trying to solve for your customers. If you can really nail what their problem is and how your service or product basically solves that problem for them, then I think you're... uh, you're halfway there. Very helpful advice. I know that uh, it's one of the things I struggle with myself is I have this tendency, especially on websites, to kind of get caught up with talking about everything that I'm offering and it's it's kind of about me. And it's, I sometimes forget to uh, make sure I word things in the context of the actual customer and what's in it for them and what's the benefit to them, what's the problem I'm solving for them. There was a good article about that from uh, Pat Flynn, the Smart Passive Income. I'm not sure whether oh, yeah. you've heard Pat of Flynn. Pat before. Definitely, but, um, yeah. That was big on saying your about page. It's not about you, it's about what you can do for your audience. And that's quite interesting because I think your about page is one of those pages where a lot of people probably get carried away with, you know, listing out their resume and their list right. of achievements and so forth. But, right. um, you know, what most people are looking for is how you can help them. And your about page is a very important page to your website. And one of the most frequently visited ones. So it's certainly one you can look at tweaking and trying to get right for yourself. Great. Very helpful. So if people want to learn a little bit more about you, Byron, or if they want to learn more about SEO or conversion, or if they're looking for a good digital marketing agency, where can they go to learn a little bit more about 
Pixel Rush and the work that you do? Yeah, definitely. So uh, we've got our website, which is pixelrush.com.au. So that's the, uh, the best place. Jump across to our blog and you'll find a lot of great information there. We also have uh, a few podcast episodes that uh, provide a wealth of information as well. And I'm always available via email or uh, I know you've added me on Twitter and LinkedIn, Joseph. So I really enjoyed that whole process of seeing how I can help. And don't ever ask me how you can market your online business. I'll probably talk to you for the next hour or so. There'll be a separate podcast. So I guess it, I know yeah. I've always got questions about that. So well, we'll definitely include uh, links to all those resources that you just mentioned in our show notes, Byron. And just wanted to thank you again for uh, taking the time to share your thoughts about your own career change journey and reminding us how important it is to figure out what's important to you and the value of time and uh, believe that a lot of people are going to find this to be really useful. So thanks so much for your time. Yeah, beautiful. No, thank you very much for having me on the show, Joseph. I really appreciate you uh, reaching out and I uh, really respect what you're doing. And I really hope that a lot of people are inspired by relaunching their career and really attacking their life like they've only got one chance at it and making it the, the absolutely best life that they can make it because it's all up to the individual. Absolutely. You've only got one life to live. So you definitely should make, make the most, the most of it. Of it. So I hope you enjoyed hearing Byron's thoughts on the value of time and the factors other than money that drive career satisfaction. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'll be sharing a few thoughts on how you can build the kind of wealth that makes you truly happy. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge for you to help you move forward in your own career. So for today's Mental Fuel, I'm going to leave you with a few closing thoughts on something Byron and I discussed today related to what you value in your life. Specifically, I'd like to talk about the meaning of wealth and the difference between material wealth and personal wealth. Then I'll finish by sharing a free worksheet you can use to help you clarify how you can define and build more of the kind of wealth that will make you truly happy. So one of the things Byron talked about today was how being in control of his time began to matter a lot more to him than earning that six-figure salary. And that got me thinking about this concept of wealth and what it really means to be wealthy. So let's try a little exercise. I want you to think for a moment about someone you know who's wealthy. Now, why did you pick that person? If you're like most people, this concept of being wealthy immediately makes you think of someone who has a lot of money or a fancy house, or maybe it's someone who just made a fortune because their startup company just went public. Most of the time, when we think about wealth, we think about material wealth. And I've definitely been there, especially when I was working in the corporate world. I did my fair share of chasing after a higher salary or those end of year bonuses or stock options or more benefits. And that stuff's nice. You know, you can go on a fancy holiday or you can live in a nice place. And that's definitely appealing. But over time, my perspectives on what really mattered to me evolved. At the beginning of 2016, just a couple years into running my own business, I wrote an article for the Huffington Post called Four Ways Self-Employment Changed How I Defined Wealth. And in that article, I talked about how my own perceptions of wealth have changed over the years and how I realized personal lifestyle wealth, not just conventional material wealth, actually drives more happiness in my own life. 
I'll give you two quick examples of what I mean by personal wealth and how this matters more to me now. And the first example is freedom. When I used to work for an established corporation, the stability, predictability, and steady monthly paycheck was comforting. But over time, I realized freedom was so much more important to me. Freedom to do work I cared about, freedom to have a flexible work schedule, freedom to be in control of my own business instead of being at the mercy of an organization's agenda. The second thing that I realized would make me feel truly wealthy was having quality time with the people I loved. Right now, I'm able to spend much more quality time with people I care about, like my wife, or I can take an extended trip to spend time with my mother back in the US, or I can go visit friends who live overseas in a way I really couldn't when I was working in the corporate world. So these are just a couple examples of what I would call lifestyle wealth that I think matters a lot more to me now than it ever used to in the past. Now, I'm not saying money doesn't matter. Having enough money is important. And if I wasn't able to pull in a sufficient amount of income, then I don't know how much freedom and nurturing relationships would really cut it for me. So you got to be able to earn a living if you want to do the things you want to do. But at the same time, it's worth carefully considering exactly what type of wealth you've been focused on building in your career and whether that matches up with the type of wealth that'll actually make you happy. So the question for you is, what kind of wealth have you been focused on building in your career? And more importantly, does that kind of wealth match up with what you truly value and want more of in your own life? Or is there something else you've been neglecting? Getting clear on what really matters to you is the first step toward making some career choices that allow you to start building more of the meaningful kind of wealth that makes you feel truly happy. This reminds me of a quote from Brian Dyson, the former CEO of Coca-Cola from his 1991 commencement speech at Georgia Tech. Imagine life as a game in which you're juggling some five balls in the air. You name them, work, family, health, friends, and spirit. And you're keeping all these in the air. You'll soon understand that work is a rubber ball. If you drop it, it'll bounce back. But the other four balls, family, health, friends, and spirit, are made of glass. If you drop one of these, they'll be irrevocably scuffed, marked, nicked, damaged, or even shattered. They'll never be the same. You must understand that and strive for balance in your life. So my challenge to you is to get really clear on the kind of wealth that makes you truly happy. Now, whether that's something material or something more personal, what's one decision you could make right now to start living in a way that allows you to start building more of that type of wealth in your career and life. If you want some help clarifying how you define wealth and how to start living accordingly, you can download a free worksheet I created with a framework to help you do this at careerrelaunch.net slash episode seven, where you can also find a summary of the key ideas and links mentioned today. While you're there, I'd love for you to ask me a question or leave me a comment about how you define wealth in your own life. Also, you can help support this podcast by subscribing or leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can do that right there at careerrelaunch.net slash episode seven. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Career Relaunch and a special thanks again to Byron Tresiak for joining us today. This episode was mixed by Raid Sandtrack, Electrocardiogram wrote and performed our original theme song. I'm Joseph Liu and I'll see you next time. <laughs>